Well, good morning. It's good to be back. Uh, it's dangerous to be back. Um, yeah, you shouldn't go back to a church too many times. It's dangerous for your health or for your. I no, just let you stay. <laughs> but yeah, it's great to be here. And uh, I just wonder, before I, I preach, I just want to follow up on what you said. Um, God suddenlies is not that suddenly after all. That's the first sermon I preached in 2012 in Worcester. Because in 2012, uh, August 2012, um, I took over a church and basically replanted it in Worcester. God spoke to us on the 1st of August 2012, will you go? By the, by the 25th of that same month, we were living in Worcester and we totally relocated within three weeks from where they asked me to go. And it seems suddenly. But in 1998, round about there, uh, God actually started working on that process so that I could be ready for 2012. What happened was a farmer led the church back in Worcester, or the Durings back then, and, and he didn't have time to, to prepare sermons like from scratch. And he wanted some sermons um, from the guy who led, from Tom Tapping who led us back then. He wanted some sermons. So he wrote to Tom and uh, in his best English, he asked for some preachers. Because a preach is a sermon in Africa. He said, can you send me some preachers? So they sent me. <laughs> so I did an outreach there around about 1998. Um, amazing time, led people to the Lord built a relationship with the church, and from then on, every now and then I can preach there. I'd go back to preach there. And then, and then when the guy led needed to go on outreach or holiday, I would go and just hold things together for him. And then when they asked me to go in, in 2012, on the 1st, and we managed to move there by the 25th, God suddenly wasn't that suddenly after all. He started in 1998. And, and sometimes we don't understand how it happens, why it happens. But the secret things belongs to God. And the things that he chooses to reveal to us, those things, that's ours. So this might seem suddenly to you. It might seem suddenly to me. I got a call on Wednesday. Will you come to Mossel Bay? <laughs> But it's not that suddenly because God is in control. And as you spoke, Emsley, I, I regret that I never had the opportunity to be in the army. Uh, I wasn't asked or called. I don't know why. Uh, I, have, I have some thoughts on that. But <laughs> <coughs> but if I could, if I knew how, I would, but I, but I physically didn't know how. So I just want to say it. I salute you. I salute you for the man that you are. I, I salute you for the man of God. that you, You're not just a man of stature physically, but you, you're, you're a man of stature in the kingdom. And I want to salute you as a couple for everything that you've done and the contribution, contribution you've made advancing the kingdom 
Um, yeah, I, I, I wish. Is this somebody was in the army? Uh, will you stand up and salute him so we, so I, on my behalf, please? Well done, Trevor. Well done. We, we, call that, we call that muscle memory. <laughs> so, so those who know me knows that I would normally start with a scripture, but I'm just reminded, I want to just acknowledge a, f- a friend and his wife. Uh, these are dear friends of mine, Dimitri and Karen. Um, they hear, when they heard that I'll be speaking here today... Um, they flew in from Canada just to come and listen. <laughs> Sorry. Um, they from City Bowl, um, or they used to be there now in Weinberg, and they happened to be here with Mornay, but I just wanted to acknowledge them. Uh, yeah, great woman and, and man of God in the kingdom. So, yeah, um, what I'd like to do is just to take this moment, and we're going to split it kind of in three. Um, in a moment, I'll, I'll address Emsley and Angelique, and, uh, and then I'd like to... Where's Franchot? I think maybe if you can just sit here, the two of you. Uh, come on, just sit there so I can see you. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm going to address them, and I'll address them as a couple, but then I'm going to address you as a church. But before we do that, I just want to explain something. Often we... We think in terms of ministry and church, in terms of the scripture that Paul uses as he writes to Timothy, where he says, I've run the race. And we think of it as a race that needs to, it starts and it ends. And somehow as uh, I prepared my heart for today, I just couldn't go to that scripture. I just couldn't go there. I would naturally think that that's the scripture to go to, but it's because this race isn't finished. It's not the end of a race today. And I would like us to see ministry as a perpetual relay race. It's a perpetual relay race where you have to understand that when you start, you get given a baton. That's the way to say it. You get given a baton. And, and as you, you get given that baton, you, you need to know it's not yours. It's yours to hold during the race, but it's not yours to keep. And the idea is to hold it tight enough not to lose it, but to hold it light enough so somebody else can take it. And that's how we need to hold ministry, gifting, our contribution in the local church. Hold it firm enough so you don't drop it, but lightly enough so you can hand it over. And I think even down to, to leading prayer, prayer groups, leading, leading um, comms, um, deacons, elders, if all of us start our leadership journey understanding it's a relay race that even though I need to get into the block and start running, there's a time coming that I need to hand it over. And, and, and when it gets to that, 
I can't hold on to it. So um, I used to, I used to, my favorite sport was athletics, uh, rugby, tennis, uh, you name it. But I, I, I cricket, I used, but I used to run 100 meters. And specifically also the 4 by 100 um, relay. And um, I'll just put it out there now. So, because I'm going to show you a clip soon where all four of the athletes run either close to or sub 10. You know what that means. And I ran my first sub 10 in 81. In 1981, I ran my first sub 10. And I can remember it like it was yesterday. I mean, the crowd was standing. They were shouting my name. I mean, that was like, yeah. Everybody was standing when I came in under 10 minutes on the 100 meters. (laughs) And I was going, Clarence, run. Please run. Please run. (laughs) It's a major achievement to run sub 10. So, <laughs> the whole school remembers it still. <laughs> but remember, when you start this, the baton is not yours. And you start with the idea of handing over. And one of us, have, I, re- I really ran the 100 meters, uh, not under 10 minutes. But, but we practiced, because we were all good runners, we didn't practice the running. We practiced the handovers. So we would run 10 meters and hand over. And we practice that and come back and do it again. Because often your competition or those running again with you or against you, however you want to see it, often they, they split seconds uh, apart and you're almost evenly matched. But winning is determined by the quality of the handover. And we're going we're gonna to watch the clip now, and it's the, just before we play it, it's the 2012 Olympics, where the Jamaican team runs a world record. I get goosebumps every time I see it, I and mean, I wish I was there, I wish I was Jamaican then. Uh, <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, so let's watch a clip intensely, please. and the cameras flash and uh, a very good run by the American Trell Kimmons he's gone very strongly indeed now then the Jamaicans have got it served the Americans and Gatlin's made a bit of headway down the back straight there and it's uh, USA from Jamaica at the moment very very strong indeed but here goes here goes the a Jamaican changeover was terrific and all of a sudden you've got Tyson Gay versus Johan Blake and Blake's winning this one and here comes Usain Bolt he has the button and it's Bolt versus Ryan Bailey and Usain Bolt is moving away and Jamaica retained their title 36.85 and the world record has been taken apart oh I say what a way to finish an Olympic game What a race. I get goosebumps when I watch that. It's an amazing race. 
But I want to take some lessons from there before I look at the race again. I'm just going to take some highlights out of there that I want you to pay attention to. Number one is that as, uh, as people of the kingdom, we don't celebrate the way the world celebrates. See, everybody after that moment gave Hussein Bolt all the honor. We don't celebrate the superstar. We celebrate team. So I'd like to ask you, and for those that I told, please don't answer to look good. But who do you think ran the first leg of the Jamaican race? Who ran the second part? Who ran the third leg? Who ran the fourth leg? Both. That's how the world celebrates. But we celebrate team. And we would not have been here today if others didn't run their legs well before today's handover. I'm going to play the clip again and we're going to stop it at 31 seconds. I'd like you to see something there. The first guy running is Nesta Carter, the second one, Michael Freiter, the third one, Johan Blake, and then Usain Bolt, just for those who wanted to know. No, we, we knew that. <laughs> okay, let's go. Well, the crowd roars and the cameras flash, and uh, a very good run by the American, Tal Kimmons. He's gone very strongly indeed. Now then. The Jamaicans have got it, so have the Americans. Okay. Now, if you look closely, up till that point, Jamaica has not been mentioned. It's the Americans are running great, and, and, and uh, it's, it's, it's all about what they're doing. And look how far, it's in the middle there. Look how far, that's the distance between the Jamaican runner and the, the American is. There's quite, quite a few meters there. Now, I can play it to 40 seconds, please. Gatlin's made a bit of headway down the back straight there, and it's uh, USA from Jamaica at the moment. Very, very strong indeed, but here goes, here goes the a Jamaican. And if you, if, you, if you paid attention to what was said, something happened. That Jamaican runner, uh, Michael Freiter, he not only held his own in that back straight, yeah, he, he ran against America's fastest guy at that stage. They swapped their team around. And, and he was about four meters behind, but he didn't give up. He ran, and he gave it all until the end. And the, the commentator couldn't believe what he was seeing. At one stage, Jamaica was four meters behind. The next moment, he goes, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and his focus shifts from America to Jamaica. Because suddenly, in the space of about a second, four meters was gone. And now Jamaica is coming into the lead. We can play the rest of it. Just watch this. 
changeover was terrific and all of a sudden you've got Tyson Gay versus Johan Blake and Blake's winning this one and here comes Usain Bolt he has the baton and it's Bolt versus Ryan Bailey and Usain Bolt is moving away and Jamaica retained their title 36.85 and the world record has been taken apart People would say that Usain Bolt won that race. I say that Handover won that race. And if we can start our ministries, if we can start serving, even if it's serving coffee and teaching other people to serve coffee so that later they can do the coffee, whatever we do, if we serve with Handover in mind, where I know that the baton is not mine. It, it prevents entitlement. Because at the end of the race, and I didn't want to spoil the evening by, the morning by showing that, at the end of the race, Hussein Bolt then wants to hold onto the baton. You can go watch that. I don't know. He wants to hold it as a souvenir. And one of the judges come and said, no, we need to take it. And he actually got offended. He threw his toys out of the cot. He threw his, his teammates' toys out of their cots as well. He just threw toys out of them because he wanted to hold on to that. But even when, you, when you're done with the race, it's not your baton. And he need, it, it was embarrassing to see a, a, a superstar like that act like that. But in church, in ministry, we understand something the Bushmen understood when I ministered up there 95, 96 they taught me a song and I was so proud of myself I learned a Bushman song um, you know if to speak the Bushman language you just have to imitate a broken CV joint and, and you can do that <laughs> and, and so they taught me this song Noroami all about you and I sang it until I understood his English song saying, it's not about me, it's all about you, Lord. And that's the motto in the kingdom. Not about me, all about you. It's not about me. And unfortunately, I have to say to you, it's not about you. The kingdom will be advanced by men that stand up and they are counted and they deliver what they need to deliver. Men and women, and then they hand over successfully. And remember, what we learned in that race, the success of the handover determines the win. So whatever you're involved in, whatever God has called you to, to whichever way God has called you to contribute, hold it tight enough and not let it drop. Hold it firm enough to not let it drop, but hold it lightly enough to hand it over when time calls for that. So I just want to say one other thing, and then we jump into scripture. You might think that today this is something new or something strange that's happening here, that a, that a man hands over his responsibility to, to lead the team to somebody else. Here's a man that has done that before. I've done that before. There's a man sitting that has done it before. There's a man that has done it before. Perpetu the ministry is a perpetual relay race. 
And at times we are called again to run another race. It was actually, in, the, uh, in fact, we were looking for a word, pentathlon. It's, it's called that, where you do five different events in athlete, uh, athletics. And, and it's, sometimes we think we're just that specialist, we run one. But, but sometimes God takes you in a different season where you're going to do high jump. Now, I'm not sure how good you are at high jump, but apparently high jump is coming next. So let's read the scripture, and I'll just make a few comments as we go along. Hebrews, Hebrews 11, verse 32, and you will know that this is the, the, this is the scripture, the hall of faith, the great men that has gone before us. So I want to read this with a relay race in mind to honor the men that has gone before. And, and I, just, I don't just want to start with Dion, who, who planted the church, and then Chad, and then Mornay, and then Emsley. It goes further back than that. It says here, I'm not going to read every, all, all the other guys we mentioned, but 30, verse 32 says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, and Emsley. That's what I feel today. That's what I felt when I read that. Now, I'm not adding to Scripture. It's just as this was written before Emsley was born. And they didn't have time to write this in here. <laughs> but I feel in my heart, I want to I honor you as much as I honor the men that has run before. I want to honor you for, for laying down your life the way you did. Forgiving in the way you gave. And I couldn't find better words, so I turned to Scripture to give me the words. If that's okay, will you forgive me for that, brother? It says, who through, and I want you to listen to these words, so that in time, in days to come, you can honor them in your own words, or even with these. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, Stop the mouths of lions, quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their babies by resurrection. I'm not sure that's prophetic. But babies or grandchildren maybe then. Um, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might raise to a better again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in, skin, in, in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world is not worthy. What a stunning portion. Um, what a portion of Scripture. And I really, I'm, I'm serious when I say, when I, when I, when I read, Mona phoned me to, to say, well, I come up, I, I just read scripture. And this is one of it. And in my heart, I felt that this is so applicable because, yeah, men have laid down their lives. I, I think of, of, of Dion who sold his house so that he can be in a position to plant a church. He's now an older man than me, uh, and in case he listens to the recording, I'm 
keep choosing my words carefully. But he's a mature man. And, and I believe God will restore unto him the, for the sacrifices that he's made. But he made the sacrifices. Mona lived in, in the kingdom in Cape Town. He moved up here and you receive him so well that he doesn't want to move back to Cape Town. And, and, and so there are, there are sacrifices that were made that you might not know of and haven't thought of. And actually, when I thought about you, I thought there were, there were tears shed in the night that you haven't told people about. There were nights that you were praying as a, as a couple for people in this church or for this church that nobody knows of. And for that, through Trevor, I want to salute you. Because there are, there are sacrifices, and those words rang in my head, sacrifices made. And it took me to this song, and I'm just going to read you the words of the song. It says this, and it's about the song, uh, Thank You for Giving to the Lord. Some of you might know that song. It says this, and I, I mean this with all of my heart. It starts off with being in heaven and people around you. And then it says, then someone called your name. You turned and you saw this young man. And he was smiling as he came. He said, friend, you may not know me now. And then he said, but wait. You, you used to teach my Sunday school when I was only eight. And every week you would say a prayer before the class would start. And one day when you said that prayer... I asked Jesus in my heart, thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. And then another man stood before me and he said, remember the time a missionary came to church and his pictures made you cry and you didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway. And Jesus took the gift you gave and that's why I'm here today. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm so glad you gave. And one by one they came. For as I could see, each life somehow touched by your generosity. Little things, and I think big things as well. Little things that you have done. Sacrifices made. Unnoticed on the earth. In heaven now proclaimed. I believe there are angels with banners waving the things that you've done as a couple for the Lord. But this is not the end. This is the beginning. God is about to take you into a season that, that unprecedented is the word that comes to mind. And I want my wife, as we, as we sat down in the elders meeting today, just leaned over to me and she said, Joy and celebration, that's the words I'm getting for them. But it's, it's the words that I want to encourage you as a church to have in your mouths. Joy and celebration because of what God is about to do through you. So I want to say on behalf of this church, because I believe there's many people here that would agree with me. And if you, agree, if you don't agree with me, you don't get coffee today. So I don't, <laughs> Thank you for giving to the Lord. You are many lives that have been changed. And there are even some that we don't know of. But thank you 
I'm so glad you gave. So I'm going to turn to, that's good timing. Nadine, that's good timing, eh? So I'm going to turn to you now because uh, for a mo- just for a moment, you're not going to get the same amount of time as him. That's going to happen when you hand over the baton. Okay. So, so this, when we talk about celebration, we celebrate the team, not just the guy with the baton in the hand at the moment. And it's, it's, a, it's a vital principle in kingdom. So I'm going to read you the next verse. And uh, it sounds amazing, but it's actually very, very challenging. Actually, I want to charge you with the next verse. Chapter 12, verse 1. It says, therefore. Now, if, if, if there's a word therefore, my dad, with his very limited English, my dad only attended Standard 7. That's the difference between passing Standard 7 and attending Standard 7. He attended Standard 7, and he, his lim- English was so limited, he used to speak about, he, he could do things well with his hands, and he would say he's bilingual in both his hands, meaning he's ambidextrous. Uh, uh, but he was bilingual in both his hands. So. But what my dad taught me, and I read the scriptures, there's two words that normally follow one another. It's, it's wherefore and therefore. And in his English, he said to me, when you see a therefore, always going to check, going, go to check wherefore it is therefore. <laughs> and, and if it's wherefore, then you need to understand there's a therefore, it is wherefore. <laughs> and here's a therefore. And, and the wherefore is everything above that. And, and when it starts with therefore, it means it's settled. Your argument doesn't count. Your opinion doesn't matter right now. It is settled. Therefore, since. You can't start, start a, a, a passage of Scripture stronger than that. Therefore, since. It actually means, shut up. <laughs> you have no argument. And then it says, and this, I, I want to charge you, Francia, and then as a couple as well, but you're going to lead your wife and you're going to lead this church and this team. And it's just a function change. It's still one team. Still the same race. It's not a different race. When, when Johann Blake handed over to, to St. Bolt, it wasn't a different race. Same race. Same race, just different function. Different guy with a baton at the moment. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, therefore, since, I just want to uh, expand on that a bit, is meaning that if you're in the light of everybody who has laid down their lives up till now for this congregation, let us, and you can put your name in there, let Francois also lay aside every weight. It's not just, when we step, it's a, it's a greater responsibility. It's not a position. It's accepting greater responsibility. Um, lay aside every weight. And sin, which close, so cling closely. I mean, I know some of the old ladies, oh, you can't read that. He, he doesn't sin. No, 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 no. I know I'm speaking to church. But if the word says, watch, the devil will invent different kinds of sin that you never knew about. Just to test you. And actually, <laughs> and actually, Mona said this morning, he said, he knows the enemy is moving around trying to find something. And, and I want to say, be on the watch, be alert. And, and I actually want to say to the church, don't be that something. <laughs> and let us run 
with endurance the race that is set before us. Part of the relay race is when you, when you run the race, when you, you get drawn in, 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 a, in a lane, and you have to run in that lane. That's the first thing. You can't say, I used to love running in lane one. It's just, it felt shorter. <laughs> but I used to love running in lane one. I didn't like running in lane eight. It just Because I couldn't see where the other guys were. But once you settle, once you've drawn lane eight, you can't think about anything else you focus. You run the race set before you. You cannot go back to run the race of the guy who ran before you. Or two guys before that. You run the race set before you. And when it goes tough, when it's tough, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand at the throne of God. Yes, there is reward, but life at the top at times become very lonely. But you've got a team. Learn to, de- learn to lean on your team. You've got some old men around you, even sitting next to you. Um, <laughs> you've got some well-seasoned men on your team. It's not expected of you to know everything. It's not expected of you to have all the answers. But lean on your team. Resist the temptation to be a Usain Bolt. Because the, the beauty of, of th- that picture, the guy's going practicing for the relay now. <laughs> the beauty of that picture is that, is that Neste Carter, Michael Freiter, and Johan Blake didn't even mind the fact that Hussein Bolt got some glory. Because they all got a gold medal that in rands and cents were worth the same. They didn't get different medals. The reward was the same. And so, if I can just leave that with you guys, team, there is no I in team. That's if my dad's spelling is correct. (laughs) So now I just want to take a portion of scripture and I would like to settle you or challenge you even as as a congregation. And for that... We, we're going to go to my favorite portion of scripture that's in 2 Samuel. I actually, I actually wanted to, to make mention of this on the 5th of the 9th, 2021. I used some of the scripture when they were preparing for transition. Am I right on the date? I wrote it down. I didn't remember it. Um, I, I, I'm glad I did. Uh, not knowing that they will be here as well. But when I talk about transition, this is one of the best scriptures to go to in terms of transition to learn how to not do it. And to learn and to pick up on the dangers of doing transition badly. And um, just because of time, and I'm not going to go through everything, I'm just going to mention a few things. The background to it is... Sorry, David fled for his life. Abner wanted to kill, um, uh, Absalom wanted to kill him. And uh, in the end, he died and David could come back. And David had to transition over the Jordan back 
to Jerusalem. Uh, one of the things that happened was, just as a matter of interest, he moved, as far, he moved across the Jordan as far as Gilgal, and then a big fight broke out amongst the people. And, and it's in, interesting is that Gilgal was the place of second circumcision. When Joshua took the people into the promised land and all the heart issues, all the flesh issues should have been dealt with already. But that just means that we need to con constantly deal, constantly circumcise the heart. Because if we don't watch it, emotions and, and uh, assumptions creep in. And we once again back at an argument. And this time it's at Gilgal. So, a few things happened here. And if, you, if you do me the favor, please do read through that chapter. So you get the gist of it. So you can, can understand what I'm talking about today. I don't have the time to read it. But, in order for you to understand this picture, myself and Azalea, we had the privilege um, to move around a bit. And... Uh, it's all due to that we've just been to Switzerland um, to help a church there for a month. It's been a great pleasure. Uh, we might be going back soon again, either in September or November. Not sure. Um, but how did that come about? It came about because I've learned, and it's not by anything that I've achieved, it's by the grace of God. I've learned to say yes to God. Even when it catches me a bit by surprise. 2008, God asked me to sell everything I have and to follow him. I didn't because I had a lot to sell. I didn't. I lost everything. Kept my wife, my kids. And, and God's sense of humor just surprised me. I was like, seriously? You had to take it all? But, but I had conditions to... To my yes, I said yes, but Lord, I want to do this first. And then by God's grace, and it's His grace alone, in 2012, as I told you, I get asked to go and lead this church. And we start up and we, we work hard and we grow this church. And in 2019, I'm sitting next to that pillar there. A chair right behind the pillar so nobody can see me. I'm sitting in this congregation behind that pillar checking out Josh Jen. Because I knew I couldn't do it in Cape Town. Everybody knew me there. But I could do it in Muscle Bay. Nobody knew me here. And I was sitting at the back there just checking out Josh Jen. 2019. Just getting a feel and to see are they still. Because I had my, my eyes on Josh Jen all along. I mean I used to take my youth to Andrew Sally's youth camps in 1996. From Somerset West to, to outside PE. Used to take them there to his youth camps. I had a good eye on Josh Jen, knew what they were about. But we needed coverings. I was just watch, checking them out. 2019. 2020, I have a stroke, as you all know. Um, and and uh, I was really, uh, the need for covering became more uh, um, serious. And then in, in, in October, I think it was October somewhere, yeah. Um, September maybe, I'm not sure. But Leonard comes and he has a conversation with me because Josh Jen wants to now plant in Worcester. And he comes to have a conversation with me on the Monday. 
And he says to me, sure, we're going to plant. We don't want to clash with you guys, you know, we, you come, because we're NCMI stock and we don't want to clash. And uh, so he said, but Andrew invited you to our conference. I said, when's the conference? He says, tomorrow. <laughs> I said, yes. Went, met with Andrew again, caught up with him, chatted as if we never uh, missed a day. And then the next Tuesday, we have a meeting where I say to him, Andrew, I'm convinced that Worcester City Church needs to become Josh Jen. And he says to me, well, he feels the same. And he says, so him and, and Wilma Ray, and they say to me, so what's going to happen is we're going to send you people. We're going to change the name this coming Sunday. We're going cha- to send you people to support you, and you're going to get prophetic or, or apostolic input and all that. And... Um, we did that, and Friday morning, my phone rings. It's Andrew Sally. He says, I want to check if we're on the same page. I didn't even know we had a book. <laughs> we're on the same page. I said, what is it, Andrew? He says, I feel the Lord saying you need to hand over, this, not just the church on Sunday, but also the leadership. I had 30 seconds to decide on what I built over 10 years. But because I learned the first time, It wasn't even 30 seconds. I said, if the Lord is saying that, I want to do what the Lord is saying, it's a yes. And right there and then, my life changed. For other people, some people came to me, some prophetic lady came and said, God is not happy with this. Today, she's not even serving the Lord anymore. But she felt God is not happy with that. Some people came to me and said, this is the end of your ministry career. And it was individuals. But the church embraced what God did. And today that church is flying under a guy called Johan. They're doing well. They're actually thinking about planting another one in the Durings. And God has taken us to a place that we could never have imagined. Where we go around preaching, doing this. Where we go around and help churches. If I stayed where I was, if I wanted to keep my baton, we would have remained Worcester City Church. I would have affected those few people's lives. We were 120 people. I would have affected their lives. And that's it. But God has given us the grace to affect many lives. Because I learned to say yes. Now I'm not, gonna, I'm not sure what God's going to do in your life. But when he asks you, I think there's the Afrikaans kirk in the Pentecostal church that says, as yero yo roop say net ya. Is that? Yeah. As yero roop say ya. So as a church, don't make the mistake that some of our people made. Some of our people try to interpret my emotions. And they got it wrong. Because remember, I was recovering from a stroke. I would sit in the meetings and I would just cry. Or tears would flow. I didn't cry. Tears would flow. And they would say, ooh, he, he's sorry he handed over. <laughs> but I actually sat there just a heart of gratitude. Uh, years ago, somebody prayed for me in Azalea. And I was a guy that gave many, like I gave trouble when I was young. Uh, I was a bit stubborn and self-centered and all those self-stuff. 
And he prayed for Zalia, and all of a sudden, he goes, Lord, you see the tears. What has Clarence done now again? And Clarence wonders, what has he done now again? And he prays and he prays. In the end, Zalia jumps up. She runs in and locks herself in the bathroom. And now Clarence rises up inside of him. And when she comes out, we immediately leave because of a very firm suggestion on my side. So we leave, get in the car, I'm driving, and I would like to know what I did wrong. And she said, you did nothing wrong. I just had a serious, serious appointment with the bathroom. And I couldn't hold it anymore. It started coming out my eyes. <laughs> and, that was, and this guy interpreted the tears. Wee oui, wee. Oui. <laughs> Don't try and interpret the emotions of those involved. Let God be God. When we question what, ha what happens in times like this, we're actually questioning the sovereignty of God. I don't want to do that. My suggestion is don't question. Don't assume, assist. And like he said, don't, don't ask the questions. But just because you don't understand doesn't mean it's not clear. Okay, when you get that, then you'll understand. Just because you don't understand doesn't mean it's not clear. God has spoken. And obedience is better than sacrifice. So when we went on this trip, we got to the, the border patrol. And you know what they asked us? Have you packed your bags yourself? And when you say yes, that means you're responsible what's in your bag and I want to challenge you with that as you go on this new journey with somebody new at the helm but the team still the same team as you go on this new journey can I ask you to pack your bags yourself and to take careful note of what you pack in your bags because here's the thing when you go on a journey when we went over uh, the people when we arrived on the airport they said all this luggage because we heard it was cold and we had jackets and boots and we, we catered for every occasion. And we had like bags and bags of stuff. And when we go back, we will travel much lighter. We've learned. But I'm going to ask you to pack your bags yourself because somebody else might put something in your bag that's not going to help the growth of the church. That means, when I say some, put something in your bag, I'm talking about somebody saying a word to you. Don't you? Or even when they come and say, won't you pray with me? I'm not sure this has gone too well. And, and prayer has been the cover for many Skinner's stories. So be careful about that. But here's what I want to challenge you. Make sure you pack luggage and not baggage. We actually had that word earlier today. I said yes when you brought that rucksack up with the baggage. Make sure you pack luggage, not baggage. Baggage is like when you, when you decide to go somewhere quickly and you, you don't have clean clothes, so you just chuck all your dirty clothes into a bag thinking you'll wash it when you get that side. But when you open that bag, 
the smell, especially the socks, the toes in the ballet. But luggage, when you pick your luggage correctly, it enhances the trip if you have the right things with you. So I'm just going to quickly mention a few guys that's, as I said, I can't read through this. I'm just going to mention, you have to trust me on this. I don't tend to lie when I'm standing up here with the word of God. So trust me on this, please. There was a guy in this in chapter 20 called Joab. And what he had in his bag, what he packed when he came over with, jo- with, with, with David was assumption. And he pa- packed his addiction for power in his bag. And because of that uh, assumption and addiction for power, he assumed that he will be, because he was a leader of the third of David's army before, he thought, in the new regime, when they cross the Jordan, he will be the chosen leader alongside David. And David overlooked him. Because in kingdom, in in the kingdom of God, we don't choose other leaders based on friends. The Holy Spirit leads us there. So don't assume that because he used to be a friend of Francia, because actually he lived with you guys. I'm not sure if that's true. Uh, he lived with you guys for a while, or when he had a puncher, you helped him change his wheel, or, or whatever. Don't assume that that favor that you've done him in the past, that you can call on that favor in the future because he's now leading the team. It's got nothing to do with one another. And he, Joab packed assumption and power addiction and he left people dead in his trail. You'll find there a guy called Amasa. Amasa was um, in his bag, it, it was entitlement. He was the leader of the opposition, but he was so good that David actually put him over the army and he had entitlement. So he was given a job but he didn't respect the instruction. So he actually was told, go and get the guys and be back in three days. You as well be back in three days. And he sent the people there, but he didn't come back because he's the guy. That's entitlement. As a church, the best thing that you can do for the leaders or this team taking this church forward is not to have entitlement loaded in your bag. Because entitlement leads to disrespect. And in the end, he got killed by Joab. And he lay, he lay wallowing in the street. He died a premature death because of his entitlement. The third person that was in, that, in, in this thing is Abishai. Now, Abishai was chosen by David when, when, uh, when uh, uh, um, uh, Amasa didn't come back. David then leaned on Abishai. But Abishai was a reluctant leader. He couldn't believe that he was chosen as a leader. Um, and he was reluctant. He was ambiguous. He was vague. And then he decided to be unequally yoked because David specifically didn't choose Joab. And then he goes and, and he says, but I think Joab should have been the leader. And he chooses him. He says, you come with me. And he hands his authority to Joab. And Joab destroys everything. So in time to come, there might be an Abishai called to lead something. Know that it is not man that, that chooses you, 
God sets up kings and God sets them down again. And if you are called to lead, lead. If you are called to, lead, to head up something, head it up. Don't give somebody else your authority if leadership has given that to you. Don't be Abishai. Abishai died a, a premature death. And then there was um, Sheba. And he's the, he's the last one of the negative guys I want to look at. Sheba took offense. Sheba was part of the ten tribes of Israel. And he took offense. And actually, I didn't give that to you, but in, in, in chapter 19, uh, he comes up with this thing that we have ten shares in David. Meaning that there's 12 shares at stake here, the 12 tribes, and we have 10 shares. That means that we should have been involved in the transition. On the other hand, the guys of Judah says, no, but we're family. That's why we should have been involved. And Sheba goes from, in one verse, he goes from claiming 10 shares and then taking offense to saying the following in chapter 20, verse 1. He says, we have no portion in David. That's what offense does. From where you claim 10 shares, offense makes you lie to yourself. And then it says he blew the trumpet and he lied to everybody else as well. And he didn't care. He didn't care what the effect would have been on those around him. They could, he could have gotten everybody killed. Because he took offense, he, was a, he rose up as an illegitimate leader, blowing a trumpet that wasn't his to blow. And then claiming, we have, we have no shares in David. Now here's the thing. He takes offense, and then he, he makes a proclamation that's not his to make, and then he goes and hides himself amongst the people. So he doesn't have to take responsibility for what he's just said. And that's a Sheba. He then runs away to a small, to a town called the mother of, of the towns in that area called Abel. And he hides himself there. And Joab goes to kill him. But Joab says he'll kill the whole town. So, so Sheba doesn't care that everybody dies. But he doesn't want to die alone. That's what offense does. And, and I feel the word God is saying to me to, that I need to share with this church. Make sure that you pack your own bags for the new journey and make sure offense is not packed in that bag. And don't look at it in the, in the full um, manifestation of it. I once went to, to Australia and, and it will always stick with me. I love golf. I love playing golf. And as I got there, I had my golf bag with me. Uh, I, and I don't know actually why I took it. It's like such a slip. But, but I, I took it with me. And I got to customs. And they called me one side. And uh, they wanted to check. I'm from South Africa. I'm an Ernie's brother. Um, I said, no, no, no. We're not twins. So we're not twins. Um, and they said to me, sir, uh, do you mind? We're just going to wash your clubs. I'm like, I've washed them. No, but we're going to wash them ourselves. And we're going to wash your bag. And we're going to wash your golf shoes. And they have a steam cleaner on it. They clean. My clubs never look like that. Yeah. They were clean. And, and, and my, my, my bag was clean. My shoes, they clean my shoes. I was like, yeah. I like me. Uh, they've never done this for me in South Africa. Uh, I actually like Australia. 
But you know what they did was, ultimately, they weren't looking for trees. They were looking for seeds that could be hidden in the ground in my equipment. So I'm asking, when you check your bag, don't check for trees. Check for seeds over fence. Because if, if it goes unnoticed, it will become a tree. And the reason why they are so, so hard on it is if a foreign tree comes in, a seed comes in, a tree grows and it can take over the indigenous trees. It can smother the real thing. So in your bag, will you make sure that it's not even a seed of offense, let alone fully-fledged offense? So if you don't know what to pack, all this whole story goes around a lady, around about verse 16. It's about a wise woman in that city. And she stopped, she stopped Joab, not going to go into the whole story. She stopped Joab and said to him, can I speak to you? Can I speak to you? And he said something like, it's a miracle that a man could say that. He said, I'm listening. <laughs> it's, wow, I'm like, wow, what a scripture. I'm, I'm listening. And she spoke and she, she, she quoted scripture to him. And based on scripture, and based on her heart and her call, he decided not to kill everybody in the city. And she said, but I will still deal with the matter. And she gave orders that Sheba be found, and his head was cut off and thrown over the wall. And when Joab saw the head coming over the wall, he knew Sheba was dead, his job was done, and he left. But a city was saved because of this woman. And I want you to, pay, to read this part of scripture and then pack in your bag what this woman had in her bag. And it's the following. I'll just mention it. This wise woman of the cities, she packed in her bag prudence. She had a respect for the future of her people. She packed wisdom. She packed courage. And sometimes we think courage is a manly thing. Courage is a godly thing. We all should have courage. But not just did she pack courage. She packed courage and timing. Sometimes God gives us something to say and we think it needs to be said now. Sometimes he gives us Something to say, but he wants us to pray about it. She had courage and timing. And for those, maybe just a little, little, little lesson for those who are, are prophetic. Courage and timing. That's important. Timing is important. She packed, it actually says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this um, verse 18. Verse 18 says, do you have it over there? It says, then she said, they used to say in former times. And what she's saying there, what she's quoting there is Deuteronomy 20 verse 10. She knew the scripture. She, because in Deuteronomy 20 verse 10 it says, before you besiege a city, go and try and make peace first. 
Go and talk to the leaders first. Job didn't do that. So she understood scripture. She said, let them but ask counsel at Abel and so settle the matter. And then she says what she packed. I am one of those who are peaceable and faithful. Can I ask you to make sure that in your bag in the journey ahead, you have peaceability and faithfulness. It's not a question of Sarah, Sarah. Whatever must be, must be. Peaceability and faithfulness. And the next thing I want you to have in your bag is a love for the city. A love for the local church. So much that you will lay your life down for the local church. And if, if you're not certain, if you're not sure if what's in your bag is what you should have in your bag, then transparency. Transparency is what needed. Sit down with a leader. Share your heart. Open your bag. Let them look and allow them, allow the border patrol to say, you can't take that in. Allow the border patrol to help you look for seeds that you might have overlooked. And surrender yourself to the process that God has put into place. This is not a good idea of man. This is God moving his church forward. And I just want to encourage you, as much as we, have, we, we honor you, we also know that God is taking you into a new thing. And, and I look at the energy that you have and, and, and the passion that you have. I'm like, yes, there's still quite a few miles in him. Yes, yes, yes. And for you, this thing about honoring the lives that has, that has sacrificed before you. And it's not, like I said, just up to, to Dion. It's those Christians that have died in Nero's garden, having been dipped in tar and set alight so that we can have the gospel. That's the cloud of witnesses. Those guys who were fed to lions for the amusement of the Romans. Those guys who were sawn in two, not as a circus act, but genuinely sawn in two. And then for those who laid their lives down in this very place. Let's honor them and let's keep on honoring them.